You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Uh, desire be granted, uh, Mr. Alva, of being a, a servant and a singer in the house of the Lord someday. Um, I, I think some gifts that God gives us here on this earth, you know, he gives you too much, you become arrogant and prideful, you think it's you. And, uh, but one of the best singing I ever heard, thank you, Emily and James, one of the best singing I ever heard was about, she was in her 80s, lady. And she sang a song at a prayer meeting. It was kind of a, I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you, it was as close to a snake handling thing as I've ever been a part of. It was screaming, jumping over stuff, slaying people in the spirit. It was a wild day. But this little old lady uh, got up and sang, just, just sang from her heart, no music. And I'm telling you, it was, it was soul moving. It was unbelievable. And I thought, you know, it's, it's the joyful noise but it's, it's in the spirit that it's given as well. I think sometimes we try to put on a show or embarrassed to sing. Other people might see how bad we sing or whatever. And, uh, man, when the spirit is right, man, the Lord is in it. And, uh, boy, he was in it that day. And, and I thank you for the songs this morning. And um, the song we're going to sing during communion or, or will be sung during communion. We're going to do communion a little differently. I hope you're not offended by eating leavened bread, but we'll see. I hope you can see I got some... Some um, examples up here for you of some things. Um, Luke one sixty eight says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And we're not a messianic fellowship necessarily, except that we believe that Jesus is Messiah. In general, there's not a lot of Jews represented here, but we're a Jewish body and that we're grafted into Christ. He was a Jew, therefore, and we're grafted in, therefore we have, we're adopted Jews, Right? And so there was certain feasts that he told them that they were supposed to take part of, the Old Testament, and that Jesus kept himself. In fact, in John, you can see it says, it was the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And then it says later on, it says, on the last day of the feast, that's when we get, um, I, am the live, I am the living water, and out, of me will flow, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. And that was the last day of the Feast of, of Tabernacles, and Jesus was a part of it. So it's appropriate for us to recognize it. We don't have to live in a tent in the yard if you don't want to, or a little, a little uh, sukkot in the yard. Um, but you can experience it, and I'll try to teach you what's, what's going on here. You can see that, and I pray it means it's meaningful for you today. It helps you to see Jesus. Jesus is in all the feasts. Yeshua Hamashiach is in all the feasts. And when he demonstrates that, when he shows the people that, as he, as he walks through those feasts, as he shows the disciples those things, they're like, oh, you really are the Son of God. And uh, he's like, I keep telling you that, but you won't hear me. That's what I keep saying. So in the midst of the Feast of Tabernacles, we're not on the last day, but we're getting close. Very much considered a Jewish feast, but it's important to recognize uh, the Messiah's um, completion of it. He com his commanded name in Matthew 1.23, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So the tabernacle 
he became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's the word. We see it as dwelt, but the word dwelt is tabernacled. He dwelt, he tabernacled, he made his tent, and he put it in our midst so that we could have contact with him, so we could touch God, so we could speak to God personally as one man speaks to a friend, like we see in with Moses. Anyway, I, that scripture in Matthew, it comes from Isaiah 7, verse 14, says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. If you read Isaiah, it's a pretty negative book overall, but in the midst of these negative things like Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah 9 and Isaiah um, 40 and Isaiah 53, there's these very positive, hopeful things about the Messiah's coming where he's going to dwell among men and he's going to take our, our sins upon himself and by his stripes we'll be healed and all those things. It's in the midst of a pretty negative book overall. They're about to go into captivity. They're about to lose their, their sovereignty as a nation. Other nations are going to come in and control them. Uh, they're going to go into slavery. They're going to come back out of slavery and basically be enslaved by the Greeks and the Romans, the Babylonians, just one after another, Persians, they're just going to keep being enslaved because they can't get their act together and keep their focus on the one true God. And then when the Messiah comes, they can't even, with the Messiah in their midst, they can't accept him as Messiah because their hearts are so hardened and their understanding of the scriptures is so vague. But it's even in those hard times that the Messiah comes he who takes away the sins of the world, the Lord himself will send his only begotten son to dwell among men. And any who would receive him, the Bible says, to these he gives the right to be called the sons of the most high God. That's good. What better time for a savior to come than in terrible times of affliction and persecution, oppression. The greatest revivals come in, in the most desperate times often. You look at China Millions and millions and millions of people have come to Christ in China, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan. Very difficult to find Christ in Afghanistan. But he reveals himself to people and they grab onto him and they're saved and they're rescued and they become servants of the Most High God, children of the Most High God. It's an amazing thing. We, we take it so casually in America because we don't have persecution that bad. It's coming. I keep warning you. Hear me. It's coming. They're arresting people for having different thoughts and different views from the, the status quo. They're arresting people now. They could arrest you for being willing to say the word that Jesus is the most high, that God the Father is in fact in heaven. He looks down on men, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. When you say those things and you're definitive about it, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. When you are definitive in those things, I promise you oppression and persecution will come. If you profess Christ, you will have troubles because they hated him and they're going to hate you. And our culture has changed. No longer do we show mercy to one another, but now we're ruthless and heartless to one another. And the wickedness of men abounds, and the corruption of governments abound. And what it's going to do is it's going to flow downhill, and you're going to either have to be faithful loyal and confident that Jesus is in fact your Messiah or you won't hang in there in those hard days. Those hard days are coming. They might be right around the corner. I want you to go to Revelation. Let's start here first in Revelation chapter 7. And I want you to look at these people that were rescued in a time. Revelation 7. John is being shown all these things. 
Revelation 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor, power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And so he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They shall neither... Uh, let's see, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night on his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Tabernacle among them. That's what it means. You can read this for how it says exactly, but it says that many people will be saved in the day of tribulation. Millions will die. Multitudes upon multitudes will be saved during the tribulation. You say, well, I'm going to be raptured out of the tribulation. Lord, I pray so. Pray that you'll be raptured before the tribulation. Grow spiritually that in fact you may have to endure it. There's a lot of doctrines on that one way or another. A lot of it's uh, man designed, but I'm telling you right now it says right here, sir, you know these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. No, it's a possibility that you may have to endure tribulations. Have Christians in the past endured tribulations? Yes. Have millions in China been murdered for their faith in Christ? Yes. Have they been beaten in Iran? Yes. They've been murdered and beaten for their belief in Christ. Could it happen here? Yes. In Venezuela? Yes. In Peru back in the 70s? Yes. People were killed because they were believers in Christ. Can it happen? Yes, it can happen. Are you ready for it to happen to you? I don't know. I pray you are. We've seen the Feast of Trumpets. That is, the king is coming. Then we saw the Day of Atonement last week, the cleaning of the house. And now we have tabernacles, the king dwelling with his people. Luke 1, 74 and 75, the Lord God of Israel, to grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. We got to do, so, so in the first thing, we had that time leading up to the Feast of Trumpets, where we, the days of awe are approaching and we're, we're getting our stuff ready. We're getting our act together. May your name be found written in the book. And by the end of the Day of Atonement, we, we should know, we should be assured that our name is found written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. If it's not written in the book, you better pray that you do not die before the following year when the book is opened again and you have a chance to have your name entered in the book. As believers in Christ... You can know that you have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You can know that your name is written in the book by accepting Christ as Savior, following Him in word and in truth and in deed. Hmm. But you can also 
wonder about salvation and struggle with salvation as you have no word, as you have no truth, no life in your way. You can wonder what's going to happen to you when you die. Am I just going to go in the dirt? Are the worms going to eat me and that's it? Am I going to go to the outer darkness where, there's, where the worm never dies and it's, and it's miserable and there's screaming and gnashing of teeth? Where am I going to go? You can know. He gives us the opportunity to know, and it's really on us to make that decision. It's, it's 100% on us to make that decision before we die. But we can know that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We can know. Why don't we know? Why are people confused about their salvation? Why don't they know? Well, because how are they going to know without a preacher? Who's going to go tell them? We can know, but somebody's got to tell us. He who has the Son has life. If you have the Son of God, you have life. And the desire of the Son is to dwell with you. He says, I'm going to go, but I'm going to send a comforter to dwell with you, to be with you to indwell you, the Holy Spirit. So as we accept Christ, we become filled with the Holy Spirit. We begin to live in a Spirit-filled manner. We begin to pray in the Spirit. We begin to act in the Spirit. We begin to no longer live in the flesh, but live in the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to speak through us. We're careful not to quench the Spirit. We're careful to go and sin no more, like the, the, the woman caught in adultery. We're careful in those things. Because we want the Spirit to be alive and active in us, working in us. We want to be able to hear His voice. We want to be convicted by Him. We want to read the Word and have the Spirit develop it in our, in our reading, in our understanding. So we had all this time. We had these previous two weeks to, to clean the house, shampoo the carpets, and, and dust all the furniture. Any woman, uh, knowing that a, a guest is coming, you give her enough time, I'm telling you, man, you won't recognize your house. If she'll have new curtains. She'll have the works going on. If you leave her alone too long in that, you'll have new furniture. <laughs> and what I will say is once her house is perfect and immaculate and the guest finally comes, they'll still say, well, you know, don't mind the mess. But in her heart, there is great pride knowing that there is not a better house on her block prepared for the visit of a, of a dignitary. Is that not true? That's how we should be as believers. We should be constantly examining ourselves. This is what the Bible says. Examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. Examine yourself. So, you know, check yourself out. You know, we got the log in our eye and we're always trying to pick the speck out of the other guy's eye. Put the log down. Jesus doesn't say that I don't want you to take the speck out. It's important that we get the speck out. It's irritating. It's causing flaws. Put the log down. But then when it's time to leave church, you go pick the log back up and stick it back in your eye and you're waving it around and sticking out and you're whacking people with it. Put the log down, leave it there. Examine yourself. Have your friends examine you say, man, what you got going on in your life? Where's your, what happened to you? Why are you living? You didn't used to live this way. Why are you living this way now? Why are you thinking this way? Why are you speaking these words? You didn't used to speak this way. I thought you were a saved man. Oh man, it pricks to the heart. Why do you drive like you do? Don't ride with me. I'm a bad driver. Don't comment on my driving if you're riding with me. I don't hit that many things. <laughs> Strong's like amen. But I don't put a fish on my car. I've told you that for a reason. Because it causes other people to cuss when they see me coming. I don't want to be leading them astray. I try to drive better, but I'm easily distracted. But be careful. Be careful on the name that you carry. It says Christian on your shirt. Be careful as you're walking around with the name that you carry right? Be clean. Be like these people. 
You know who they are? Washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are saved people. You're a saved person. Act like a saved person. Clean your house. Make it a place where the Messiah is comfortable to dwell, where the Holy Spirit wants to be, where the Holy Spirit wants to unquench your life. Remember those? Remember that thing, thirst quenchers? It was kind of gum back in the day. And you bit into it, it had some kind of juice in the middle. That's what we want. Our life should be overflowing with that, with that Holy Spirit uh, flow. Uh, the guy, the, the old testimony that guy told me, it was uh, Pastor Raul, Cousin Raul, Uncle Raul, whatever he is. And he said he had this dream about falling into a pool, and then he got out of the pool, and everywhere he walked, he left these wet footprints, and he ended up in an elevator, and he was you know, dripping in the elevator, and then the people that got by him, they got wet, and they were a little offended by his wetness because he didn't have a towel. And he said, that's the Holy Spirit. You're completely immersed in the Spirit, and it should be evident to everyone around you that everywhere you go, you're leaving wet footprints. And when people touch you and you're all squishy and wet and dripping, it should rub off on them. And it should be evident to the people around that, there's, that you have the Spirit in you. And if it's not evident, then examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. It's pretty simple. We can do it. The book of John begins with this very idea of God with us. God with us, within us. John 1.14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt, or tabernacled, that's the Word, and tabernacled amongst us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We can see in the Bible from the beginning that God desires to dwell with men. Genesis 3.8. Adam and Eve, they've already sinned, but it says that God was already in the garden. And Adam and Eve hearing him, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day because he wanted to come and have communion with them. Not communion, you know, uh, bread and wine, but just intimacy, conversation. Come over here and let's, let's sit on this, on this rock and we'll just talk to one another. Bring some animals. They can, they can come up and tell us stories. You know, they had to have good stories. They were still talking, some of them, obviously. They didn't, they didn't seem to be too shocked when the serpent spoke. And so, you know, and he wanted that time with them. And it was ruined by men. By the sin of men, we broke the ability of men and God having conversations this way. But then we look through Genesis, we see him speaking to Enoch, we see him speaking to Noah, we see him speaking to this person and that person throughout the Old Testament. Then we get to Moses. Go to Moses. Go to Exodus 33, and I want to show you something. Exodus 33. I'm telling you this because I want this for you. I want this for me. I want this for you. This is possible. What I'm going to show you is possible for you. It's possible for me. If it's possible for Charlie Alva to sing in the heavens, this is possible. <laughs> Exodus 33. We don't have the tabernacle yet. We've got the sin, we've got the escape, we've got the Ten Commandments. We don't have the tabernacle, the big tabernacle with all the animal skins and the inner part and the outer part and the courts and the fence and all that. We don't have that yet. So Moses takes his tent, it says in verse 7, 33 and verse 7, Moses takes his tent and he pitched it outside the camp. Why away from the camp? Because the camp is filthy and it's filled with a bunch of filthy wretches. And they got their way of doing stuff and thinking about stuff and talking about stuff. And he doesn't want, 
to commune with God in a place where it's filthy. And God says, I'm not going to walk in your midst if you're going to be filthy. So Moses takes his tent and pitches it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he calls it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose. Each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Here's a special tent that Moses set up outside the camp, far away from the camp. And it was a special camp, a special tent tabernacle of meeting, it says, which was outside the camp. He wanted a special place where he could meet with the Most High, where he could hear from him directly with no other stuff going on. I, this is my personality. Not, I'm not dogging yours. When I'm reading a book, or I'm reading a Bible, or I'm trying to study, or I'm trying to get ready for I can't have music playing. I can't have the TV going on in the background. I can't have people talking. And so uh, if I'm at home and Renette and a couple of kids show up, I, I come here. If I'm here it's somewhat inevitable that people will show up here and they come and, and, and talk to me, you know? And so sometimes I have to go upstairs. Sometimes I have to take my stuff and sit in a truck where it's quiet because my brain just works that way. I really struggle with other people talking and me focusing. And if you've had a conversation with me, Amy Strong, you know that I have trouble staying on a topic <laughs> when I'm talking because things pass through and they have to be mentioned as well. And so I got to focus. I got to be outside the camp. It's not that I don't, it's not that I don't love you guys. I, I love you. I really do. Some of you more than others. But I do love you. No, I do. I you don't, you don't, you really, you really, I enjoy being with you and enjoy talking to you, enjoy hearing from you. And I learn from you. Just like you guys learn from me, I learn from you. You guys give me different uh, things that are going on in your life and how God's working and it's, it's, it's encouraging to me. But when I'm going to talk to God, when I'm going to hear from God, I got to be by myself. And it's got to be quiet. And if there's a lot going on, I, I, I can't hear. And, it, and what you'll get is a bunch of gobbledygook. Because it'll be, it'll be my opinions or something he said or something she said, and it won't be from the Lord. I want it to be from the Lord. If I'm going to give it to you, one guy said, and, and he's right. He's, I'm not a chef. I don't get to go take the gospel or the word of God and go back there and mix up a fancy meal for you and then put the little you know, sprinkly stuff on top and bring it out to you and present it to you like, here you go. Here's this feast I made for you. It's not like that. All I am is the, the server guy. The word is the feast. And I just take what the feast is and then I bring it out here and I give it to you. And if you can use it and if it meets your palate and it, and it satiates you and it satisfies you and it gives you energy for the week to come, to deal with the, with the fiery darts of the evil one, then I've done what I was supposed to do. All I had to do was bring it from the kitchen and then hand it to you guys. That's, that's what I do. That's what I'm supposed to do. If I'm making it my own thing, or if I'm making it my own opinions or imaginations, then I'm, I'm heretical. Then I'm a false teacher. I just got to do what's in the, 
what, what the Lord gives, he's doing the cooking. And I just hand it to you. But I've got to be faithful in handing it to you. You've got to let me uh, carry it out there without tripping me on the way to the table. Let's, this is just such an amazing verse right here about what Moses needed. He knew if he was going to lead those people, he needed to hear from the Lord directly. face to, It's such a beautiful thing. Face to face like a friend talks to another friend. Is that not what you want from the Lord? Is there any time set apart in your life where you turn everything else off and you go and sit before the Lord? You know what I hear a lot, truly? It's kind of crazy, but when I first get up in the morning, a lot of times I don't read immediately. I'll just sit there in the chair before coffee. Just sit there. If you sit there for 20 minutes, it's amazing. Don't talk. Don't start praying. Don't start sleeping. <clears throat> just sit. And I don't know if it's the mind unwinding or the subconscious or whatever. And all of a sudden, I'll, I'll be like, man, I really need to be working on this verse, this passage, this book, whatever. And then I can go there. And uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to make a testimony that it's God's voice and he's telling me this. I, I'm not, I, I don't want to say something that's not true in that. But God does speak in those times and he does encourage me in those times to go to a certain place. And he'll demonstrate to me what I need. And then, like I said, he's preparing the meal. I just bring it over here to you guys. Just a hint. Be by yourself, away from the camp, away from the noise. If I got TV going on here, you say, well, I'm a, I'm a uh, what do they call it? Multitasker. Wrong. You're not. Because this thing over here is influencing your, your mind. Even music. You say, well, I got this Christian music on. soothes my soul. Then I can, wrong. Turn it off. Because your ear cannot hear, it cannot discern with all this jazz going on. we got so much going on, we can't hear. And we're confused when God does speak. We don't know if it was the song we heard, the guy we talked to, the book we read, or the Bible. And we're not sure what we heard. And it leaves us conflicted and confused. Moses went outside the camp, far from the other people. And what's sad is, is verse 8, when he got out there, the people rose. Each man stood at his tent door. They weren't willing to go make them a tent outside the camp. Moses will bring us what we need. Don't you want to know God? Don't you want to hear from him? It's good, you know, blessed are the feet, you know, that are shod with the gospel of peace. They're blessed. Thank you for those that bring us the peace of the gospel. Thank you for those that bring us the, the word of God. But much better to know the man himself, to know God yourself. Somebody told me they knew, I, I forgot who it was, but uh, we were talking about uh, these, they knew some pro wrestlers from back in the day. I mean, that's cool. I mean, to know them, but for them to tell me about it is different from knowing them themselves. To know a famous person yourself is one thing. But for me to know them through you, that's something different. I want to know the Lord myself. I want to know Messiah myself. I want to know the Most High God myself. And when he comes, then he'll know me. I want to be known by him. I want to know him myself. Don't you want that? It's a rhetorical question. I pray you do. God with us. So look at one, a couple other things here. They met there often like two friends. They took pleasure in meeting with one another. The other poor pitiful people stood in the doors of their tent and were like, oh, Moses is going to go get the good word. Keep it down there, kids. See what's going on over there. 
There's a fire over the thing. Let's see what's happening. There's fire. There's smoke now. Smoke coming. Be quiet. But man, go over there where the tent is. Look where Joshua was. His servant Joshua, the son of Nun, verse 11, a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. He was an eavesdropper, little weasel. He was right there. He wanted to know what was going on in the tent. He wasn't staying in the town, standing at the door. He went to the tent. He went to where the presence was. Go where the presence is. But I will tell you, here's, here's a, a cheat code. Here's a cheat code for you. If you know someone and it appears that they have the presence on them, they have a great understanding of who God is, go over there and eavesdrop. Find out what they know. Get some of that water off them like the, like the pool. Get some of that spirit off them. It's okay. Eventually, you need to be able to eat yourself. But until you can, get near those that have the presence. The presence will rub off on you. That's what they did with Moses. They're like, oh, the presence too shiny. Put a veil on your face. I'm like, take the veil off and shine on me so I can grow. You ladies, you see this other lady? I got a, Emily has got a great Bible study for you ladies. And whenever she gets back from um, Guatemala here in a couple weeks, I'm, I'm praying that she'll put together a Bible study. I'm not volunteering or anything, but I am. That I pray that you ladies will go. What she's got for you is fantastic. You need it. You need it. She has a different view on, on the, um, the presence of God than you do. I promise you she does. She's a more dramatic person. She's a more emotional person. Take what she has. Go get it from her. She's got extra. She'll pour it out on you. Go, go get it. She's willing to give it to you. I think she is. She's like, whatever. Don't put no more on my plate. She's willing to give it to you, I promise. She may not think that now, but after this mission trip, she'll be ready. She'll be all rested up and ready. But go get it from her. If you don't have it, get it from her until you can feed yourself. And when you can feed yourself, then start feeding other people then you can be the, the servant, the server. Joshua gets this, this mention. It, he could come to the door of the tent, but what's sad is he couldn't go in. But he could listen from, you know, tent walls are pretty thin. You just stand over there and listen. He's an eavesdropper. That's good. Just in case, though, you never know. The Lord might call him in. But if I'm in the town, I'm not going to hear his voice. But if I'm right there at the tent, what if he calls me and I'll be ready? I'll be right there. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. Leaning forward on the bench. Just call me in. Moses left. Hey, God, I'm still here. Moses, he went back to town, but I'm still here. You know, call me in. Give me the good word. And he absorbed so much at this tent that when the time come, books of Joshua, there at the end of, of Deuteronomy where Moses is, is, uh, passes away and is and up on Mount Nebo or whatever, and then, and then Joshua, become, he's ready. He's been hanging out at the tent the whole time. He's seen the glory that's on Moses' face the whole time. He's watched the day by day. He's watched Moses walk the whole time. He's ready to take it over. Are you ready to take over any ministry from anyone? Are you listening to the Lord's voice? Are you close to the tent of meeting? Are you close to someone who's pouring off the Spirit? If you are, you'll be ready when it's time for you to minister. Just hang out there. Verse 11, man, it's such a great picture. We need to be ready. Just like, like John, you know, um, um, he's there. He's already in prayer. He said he was praying in the Spirit, and he hears a voice. Come up here. Oh, oh they called me into the tent. You're up. You're up to bat. They called you up out of the minors. You're going to go first bat in the majors. What does he do? He hits a home run, doesn't he? Book of Revelation. People were satisfied. That's what's sad. Verse 10, they were satisfied to stand in their own tent 
each man in his own tent door. That was close enough for him. It's, it's clo- is it close enough for you with the Messiah? He says, I want to dwell with you. I want to tabernacle with you. Is that enough for you that you just know that he's in the neighborhood? Or do you want to know him, know him? If you want to know him, know him, then you're going to have to go spend time with him. That's how friends, that's how friendship works. We got friends and then we have distant friends. And yesterday when I was changing a tire, I didn't have any friends. But when you, when, <laughs> no, you'd have come if I called. Strong would have come. Strong changed the tire for me one time in the deep snow on the side of the interstate. Remember that? In Monterey that time? And uh, uh, I mean, Someone would have called if I asked, but the point is, the way we know people is we go do stuff with them. That's how we know them. The more stuff we do with them, the more time we spend with them, the better we know them, the better friends we can be. We can either say, well, I don't want to be that guy's friend, or we can say, oh, I want to know him more, or know her more. And then I spend more time with them. They rub off on me more. I see the negatives of them, but I see the positives. With the Lord, he's like, come, get to know me. Know me well. Come closer. Let me let me hold you. Let me speak to you. Let me whisper to you. Let me console you. Let me build you spiritually. Let me do these things for you. It says, uh, 33 verse 17. Look at this verse right here. This is what you should want. The Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Oh, I know you by name. I mean, he's, you know, we got y'all and yunzes, all y'all, um, vosotros in Spanish. That's all y'all in Spanish. That's what it is. Everyone, right? But I want him to know Dale, and you should want him to know you by your name, and not just be a, a, a glob of people at a at a rock concert. You want him to call you out from the stage. Hey, there's Dale. There's Jan back there. I see you back there, Frank. I see you, Billy. I see you, man. Glad you came. Glad you're here. You want him to call you by name. You don't want to just be part of the crowd. All these people at the tents, they were just part of the crowd. They didn't know him. He knew him. But they didn't know him, know him. Hmm. So the Lord tabernacled with the people in the tabernacle. Later the temple. Remember that in King Solomon? We don't have to go there. They're in Chronicles. But it says his glory filled the temple. It was so thick that those of the priesthood and the musicians had to leave because they couldn't see. It was so dense. They had it all over them. Excuse me. Um, but what happened was, though he was there, though he was at the tabernacle, though he was in the temple, we get through the time of Judges in tabernacle, and then we get into Chronicles, and we get not very far beyond Solomon, and man, the Lord has left the building. Ichabod, the glory has left. He just leaves. They had become so, he had become so commonplace to them, they weren't even searching him out or looking for him anymore. They had no, it, it kind of interfered with the other stuff they had going on in life, you know? Whatever, camel rearing and sheep shearing and whatever they were doing. All these other, all these other things they had going. And so every year, one of the reasons we have the feast is that every year they had these seven times of remembrance. Six of them are the big feast, and then every Sabbath they had a, a meal. And in that meal they would, Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringeth forth fruit from the vine. And they would talk about the Lord for just a few minutes, and they would eat their meal. Every week. That was one of the feasts. It's every week on the Sabbath. 
And then, and then they had their, the seven feasts, you know, Pentecost and Passover and, and, and um, first fruits and then the fall feast that I told you about. And they had all those. And it's kind of like what we've done. With, this is what we've done with Christ. We got a couple uh, Jewish, uh, Jewish paganized holidays with Christmas and Easter. They're very pagan. Their, their foundations are. But they started off very Jewish. And then they became paganized. And so we got a couple times a year where Christ kind of makes it into the flow of things. And then maybe he gets mentioned here and there. And the rest of the year, he's just, he's just like he doesn't exist. And then we don't even honor the Sabbath anymore. So we, we miss out on the weekly measure. Not, not you highly spiritual people, but most people miss out on those even because they don't take the time to take once a week and set it aside to, to seek the Lord, seek his face and seek his word. They just don't. And they're not going to. And then they say, well, I'll just stand in the tent door and, and Dale will tell me what's up or, or Mr. Alf will tell us what the deal is and, and, and that'll be that and I'll be good for another week. And so it's super compartmentalized, our Christianity is. It's Sunday morning for three hours and then everything else, it just plugs into that thing. And if something kind of flows into that three hours where we, where we come together and worship God and sing songs and read the Word and stuff, well then... If something else better comes along, a, a football game, we got tickets to a concert or the boat or the, the lake, whatever the thing, whatever the thing is, everybody got their thing, whatever it is, um, well then, well then we, he gets even more shrunken down in our lives. But then, like we read in Psalm 102 this morning, when we need him, we need him. When you're sick and you're dying and when your child's in a car wreck and when terrible things happen and when countries invade and and whatever happens, persecution grows. We're like, well, where are you, God? He's like, well, like I told you, told you last week, I've been here the whole time. You left me. <laughs> Where'd you go? Uh, we got to work on that. The Jewish community completely fell apart as they quit keeping these feasts. And then when they went back to them, there's a couple of times in the Old Testament you can see where they went back to the feast. And they were so good that they like prolonged them. They, the one was Passover, and it was just supposed to be a, a, a couple days. And then they're like, well, let's do it for a week. Well, let's do it for one more week. That was so good. And they says, there's never been a Passover like it because it was so good. They're like, oh, man, I remember these times with the Lord, how good they were. Why did we put these aside? I don't know. So the same thing happened to them as happened to us. Crime increased. Are you watching? Are you seeing them burn these cities down, breaking into stores, stealing everything, beating women and taking their purses, like just knocking them down? Are you seeing that? Violence will increase in the last days. This is what it says. Are we seeing violence increase? Are we seeing these things? He wants to come and dwell with us, but we don't seem to want his, him as much as he wants us. We need to want him like he wants us. Those things, uh, he becomes hard to find. But then Luke chapter 2, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And they'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And then there's, there's always those Joshua types that are just waiting outside the tent, waiting to be called in. John, Elijah, Elisha. Elisha's just over there plowing the field. Come on, Elisha, go with us. We're gonna, I'm going to make you a prophet, a holy man of God. All right, kill the ox. <laughs> That's probably better than plowing anyway. One of the requirements of the feast is for the people to build a, a sukkah. It's like a three-sided little shelter made of bamboo or whatever. And then you weave a little, a little fibrous top of, of palm or, or uh, pine trees or bamboo or whatever. But the idea is that it's, it's thin enough that you can see through it and see the stars and stuff at night. And you're supposed to have meals in there. And you just make memories in there. 
my favorite my favorite um, holiday really has always been uh, Thanksgiving. I think I've told you this. We generally traveled to Kansas or Colorado uh, when I was a kid because that's where my grandparents lived. And that's where the wily pheasant exists. And we'd have to go out there and ensure that he wasn't eating too much corn that year and kill as many of those devils as we could. And, and it was just a family time together of going out there and spending it with family. And then we got to see the aunts and uncles and the cousins. And it was just kind of mayhem around in the house. And the house was messy and, and nobody cared. And we just ate. And, and then we went out and shot rifles sometimes or shot clay pigeons or, or walked around the farm or whatever. And just... Um, just that coming together, those good memories, that's what's going on in these sukkahs, is these people are coming together, eating their meals together. Kids are allowed to act rowdy in there. They get to talk about memories. They get to talk about how the Jews were rescued and how they were rescued and how their name, we just were celebrating. Our name got found written in the book. I mean, man, it's good. Good days. We should have more festive holidays like that. Christmas used to be that way, but it's become so materialistic, it's kind of lost its charm for family and stuff. It's about buying stuff. But, but uh, anyway, you have your toast in there, your wine toast and your bread each night. But it's not, it's not leavened bread, it's unleavened bread. Joyful bread. Unleavened bread doesn't even taste good. It's like a saltine. But, but chala, chala, no, chala bread is pretty good. It's pretty good. It's softer, sweeter. You dip it in honey. Can't go wrong with the challah. Put some peanut butter and jelly on there. It's just a really positive memory. And it's, all of these feasts are designed to build memories into the young. How are we going to build memories in the young if we don't bring them to church, if we don't have meals dedicated to the Lord, if we don't have meals together at the dinner table, if we don't have family times together, if we don't have spiritual times, if we don't teach them about the Lord day by day. How are we going to, we're going to lose those things. If we never teach them about the goodness of God and the things that he's done for us and how he got us thus far, if we don't tell them, how will they know? These poor, these poor kids that have been raised without a father or mother haven't had those kind of a things. They're trying to make those events. They're trying to fix those things in their life so that their kids can have fond memories. But these, these times in the Sukkot, I guess, were really good times. The new heaven and the new earth that the Lord Jesus Christ is making and coming to dwell in with men, it's not going to be this flimsy structure of bamboo that a stiff breeze would blow over, right? Uh, well, the one place says it's, you know, one place in the Bible says it's going to be 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles cubed. I figured that up in uh, acreage, and it was like 83, uh, the number was like 83,500, comma, plus 20 zeros. That's how many cubic feet in that thing. It's huge. It's huge. There's enough for the multitudes of multitudes and multitudes of multitudes, as the Bible describes those that will be there um, with him. I wanted to show you this in Revelation 21. We're about there. Revelation 21. How the, how the new Jerusalem is described. And just take this as a small part of the new heavens and the new earth that God's going to make that he wants to dwell there with us, his tabernacle of meeting with us. But look at, at the new Jerusalem, what it looks like. Just start at verse 17. Well, you go to verse 16, it talks about uh, the general size of it, but the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and it's measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. So it's the same length as it was tall, as it was wide. 
he measured its wall 144 cubics according to the measure of a man. That's somewhere between 18 and 22 inches if you want to figure it out, um, times 144. Uh, that's one wall. The construction of its wall was of jasper. That's kind of a, a golden uh, brown, shiny golden brown stone. Um, it's a real pretty stone. They make types of about the color of that honey right there, about that color. Uh, jasper, the city was pure gold like clear glass. Foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. Jasper, sapphire, chalcedony, emerald, sardonyx, sardius, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysophrase, hyacinth, and amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. These things are massive. If the wall is that big, how big's the pearl? Um, the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. It had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. The kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, for there is no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. It's wild. All of our worldly accumulations will just seem so silly and trifling. The things that we have struggled for and saved for and we don't let the kids touch in the house for fear they'll knock it over and break it. All the antiques that was grandma's that we fought our cousins and nephews and aunts and uncles over and got distant from family members over, um, all those will be nothing. They'll be burned up. They'll be garbage. Why are you going to, why do you care my, my one cousin and, uh, and my aunt's bread knife or whatever. They, there's people who won't talk to each other about this stupid bread knife. The lady didn't have anything, and she passed away, and they had a bread knife, and one of the guys took it, and it didn't go to auction. It's a ragged-out, wore-out knife blade that the, she cut bread with, and they, they won't talk to each other over a stupid bread knife. It's nothing. Why are we fighting over these things when this is what's waiting for us? Why do we care? Let them have it. Oh, he broke my favorite dish. Oh, well, go buy another favorite dish. You got all kind of money. Look how good the Lord's been to you. You still got breath in your lungs. You can still see out of at least one eye. You're doing okay. Just look to this. Seek this. Seek this tabernacle of dwelling with the Most High God. Choose today whom you'll serve. May it be said of you, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And then know him so he can know you. And then when he comes, he says, hey, I'm going to come. I'm coming to your house today. Remember Zacchaeus? I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't have time to go clean his house. He didn't have a cell phone. He could call Mrs. Zacchaeus and say, hey, put the quick spiff job on the old hut there. Jesus is coming. He didn't have time. You, he just came. You need to be ready for when he comes. You need your name written in the book, and you need to have your life and your mind, your spirit ready to dwell with him. He wants to dwell with you. Dwell with him. It's good. It's a good place to be.